0: Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors with your host Drew Kirby. Yeehaw! Okay, okay,
1: holy oh cow! I have your attention, please. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis.
0: Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Ah, uh, this is Craig Morgan. And you're listening to Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. My Country 95.5.
1: All right, we are back on Wyoming, hooking and hunting outdoors. Of course, you can go to the station's app and listen to all of our great segments on demand. And uh, Janet Millick from Wyoming Game and Fish Department is a major player every week with us here on the show. And Janet, this week we're into the second week of February and. Things are really icy in some places in the state, uh, and that includes some of the waterways.
2: That's right, Drew. It seems to be kind of a theme that we've been talking about in Wyoming this winter as well. Wow, winter is back. We've had we've had some pretty crazy conditions, and and you know, um, a lot of conversations this winter are around different types of ice, whether it's the nugget ice in your drink or the ultra clear ice in your whiskey. People sometimes don't think about the different types of ice in habitat in the environment in our lakes and streams and so it's it's actually pretty important to wyoming's wildlife
1: now you have um you know mentioned in the past about how winter when you were younger this is kind of a typical winter but now it's you know kind of a more mild winter and a colder frostier spring And when you go out and you check the ice, if you're going to go ice fishing or maybe you're just out taking a hike and you see there's ice there, explain some of the ice that you were just talking about that people need to be aware of.
2: It's maybe not that people need to be aware of. But it's more of a, hey, this is kind of cool. There's some science here. There's different things that affect habitat, that affect fish. And and so we have Matt Hahn, one of our um, fisheries biologists and our Casper Region fisheries supervisor here with us today to talk a little bit more about that. And, you know, just, just thinking through, you know, the different types of ice that people do need to be aware of. Um, it'll be interesting to listen to Matt talk today Um you know, shelf ice, the importance of of that for people who might be ice fishing, um, you know, versus kind of the clear, cloudy ice and all of the things that come along with, with all of that. So I would like to welcome Matt to talk to us a little bit more about it all.
1: Matt, uh, ice on these waters we have here in Wyoming are affected by a couple of different things, uh, one being the temperature and the other being the wind as a, a major factor. And how does the ice uh, between the two affect it differently?
3: Um, obviously, uh, you know the colder the weather, the the easier it is for water to form to form ice when you're thinking about your lakes and reservoirs. And then wind and, and warm is is clearly the enemy of ice. So you know we had some really cold temperatures back in January, um, even in December, formed pretty good ice cover on most of the lakes around here. And now we're coming in, coming into February, which where typically we get some warmer, uh, windier days. Um, and you know that warm wind and that convection across the surface can really, really degrade the ice in an in an awful hurry, especially around the shorelines. You get wind blowing sand and things like that out onto the ice. Plus, you get the solar radiation where the sand and you know rocks on the shore are absorbing heat and So oftentimes the shorelines really deteriorate a lot quicker than the middle of the lake. So what tends to catch people by surprise when they've been out fishing all day on 18 inches of ice and then they fall through and waste deep water on their way back to the truck. So
1: The wind really does play a big game in that, especially if maybe you're – a fisherman that is always at Boison, but you want to come over to the Casper area and and try out some of the fisheries that we have here. What are things that you need to look for in in situations like that? Because obviously the ice may be a little different from where you're coming from.
3: Yeah. You know, the usual telltale signs, uh, different colors. You know, if you're looking out across the ice and there's a patch of ice that's different shade of gray or white than the surrounding ice that is usually a pretty good indication that there's something different right there. It doesn't necessarily mean it's it's thinner right there, but there's just something different about that ice. And, you know, it's just super important to check the ice as you go. Don't check the ice once when you first get on and then say, oh, there's 18 inches, we're golden, and, you know, go tear out and cross the lake in your snowmobile. Um, you need to check the ice periodically, and especially if there's pressure ridges, different colors, of ice, um, snow load on the ice if there's a lot of snow piling up on the ice that can weaken it it can push the ice down and you get a what they call overflow or you actually get water coming up through cracks and can build a layer of slush on top of the ice and that can weaken the ice from the top and it, it just like the moral of the story is don't assume the ice is safe or uniform on any body of water and make sure you check it periodically
1: what's going on under the ice when the lakes are are frozen over how are the fish affected by that ice
3: well one of the big things that can happen and not so much on bigger lakes like say pathfinder alcova because they're so large but on shallow lakes something like Goldeneye reservoir for instance um, the ice basically seals the water from the atmosphere so typically you've got oxygen coming, passing back and forth between the lake and the atmosphere and the lake's able to off gas carbon dioxide and things like that. Well, when you put a layer of ice over the top, that just stops that. And if the lake is shallow enough and you've got a lot of weeds um, under the ice that begin to decompose, that uses up all the oxygen in the lake. And that leads to what we call winter kill conditions where Oxygen drops down below the lethal threshold for fish and all the fish in the lake die So on shallow lakes like Goldeneye, it's pretty susceptible to winter kill happens on average Probably every five to ten years going back as far as our records go into the 50s out there But conversely a lake like Pathfinder uh, That'll never happen. There's just the volume of water. There's is so great and you'd have to have ice cover for years at a stretch to be able to deplete all the oxygen
1: in there. Matt, are we seeing this a lot around the state already? I mean, have you heard reports? Yeah, you
3: know, I talked to a guy the other day that called the report. Uh, He'd been out at a little, one of the small ponds out what we call 33 mile country, which is out northwest of the airport. Um, There's a reservoir out there called Sheepherders Reservoir that that we have bass and bluegill, and, and we do stock trout in on occasion. And that guy had been out there fishing and reported that, you know, he drilled a hole and the water smelled like rotten eggs, which is a real classic indicator of winter kill. The, um, In the absence of oxygen, a lot of the bacteria will produce hydrogen sulfide, which has a real nasty sulfur smell to it. And so, the water smelled like rotten eggs. And then he saw a number of dead fish that were frozen into the ice. So it's pretty good indication that we lost, uh, that fishery this winter. And I would be willing to bet that we probably lost most of the fisheries out there because they're all pretty shallow and, and weedy. So it's one of those deals you just live with in this kind of climate and, um, you know that's why we have fish hatcheries and we can restock them. And,
1: you mentioned that, and just a, a couple of weeks ago, you guys were actually out stocking places like Yesness and uh, some of the other smaller fisheries like that. Uh, does that help prevent the the winter kill?
3: No, we you know we stock those fish. They're uh, brood coals from the from the hatchery, so they're the big adult fish that they use to get eggs from for spawning, and they come available this time of year usually. Um, and we try to put them in community fisheries places like Brine Stock Trailer, Yesness, where, you know, people have easy access to them that may not otherwise drive clear out to Pathfinder or something to go fish.
2: The the neat thing you kind of hear Matt talking a little bit about the the different species of fish we have in you know kind of this behind the science we have cool cold and warm water fish species and each of those different types of fish react differently in the winter and so some of the fish that Matt was talking about out at sheepherder's pond you know are are kind of the warmer water and they're trying to seek out warm water and so they're going to react differently in the winter than say you know your cold water species like trout and so the ice also affects and the formation of the ice also affects those, those fish differently. And, and some of the things that we can talk about are frazzle ice and anchor ice. And, you know, who knew that those things even existed because we don't talk about them a lot.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting to, to think about the different types of ice and how much it really does affect the, the nature and the natural things that are happening. Matt, can you tell us the difference of some of these ices like frazzle ice? Frazil
3: ice—you
1: uh, don't usually get it on lakes. It's it's more of a,
3: a thing that pops up in rivers where you have a turbulent flow, and basically, it's uh, as the water's flowing down, going through riffles, you get turbulence, and the water can actually become super cooled, which means the temperature of the water actually gets below freezing, and not by very much, by you know a tenth of a degree or so below freezing, but because it's, the turbulence is keeping the water mixing, it doesn't have a chance to freeze. And when it gets cold enough, you'll get these little micro ice crystals that start to form in the water column, and that's what they call frazzle ice. They can build up in the river and they stay in suspension because even though ice floats, they're so small that it doesn't take a whole lot of current to keep them in suspension. And what happens is they start sticking to stuff. They'll stick to the bottom, they'll stick to each other, they'll stick to vegetation, whatever. And as that builds up on the bottom of the river, you get kind of a reverse, you know, typically you think ice forms on the surface and gets thicker Well, anchor ice will actually start forming on the bottom of the river and grow up. And that can cause all kinds of problems, you know, uh, like Janet did mentioned, you have brown trout eggs they're in the gravel this time of year, being a fall spawn fish. They lay the eggs into a nest in the gravel in the fall, and those eggs kind of hang out in the, in the gravel all winter and hatch in the spring. Well, when you get anchor ice, covers up those, those reds or those nests where the eggs are. It can, it can suffocate the eggs. Another thing it can do is as it builds up, of course, because ice being buoyant, it starts building up on the bottom. When it gets thick enough, it'll then float. And it'll take everything it's stuck to with it, so it'll actually pick up sediment from the bottom of the river and and float it to the surface, um, and then move it downstream. And anything that was in that sediment goes along with it. So when you have really cold winters like we've had, um, you know, getting wet way below zero like this, it, it it tends to really favor that that formation of frazzle ice in the in the river and tailwater rivers like the North Platte here. Are a lot more susceptible to that than than an undammed river. Um, an undammed river usually you get shelf ice formation, which is just you know the river's frozen on the surface um, that insulates the water from that really cold air. But in a tailwater river, because it's coming out of the dam at you know forty some degrees, you don't typically get that shelf ice formation. So that's where on those really cold nights it's a lot more prone to produce that frazzle ice.
1: Which is very important of why you don't get on any ice that may be formed on the North Platte. I mean, staying away from that during the ice is probably more of a better idea.
3: Oh yeah. You bet. The, the currents and everything else going on under the ice, you just, you just can't ever predict what the thickness is. And in a lot of the ice that forms on the river is frazzle ice that, has clumped together and you see it forms slush you know that's floating on the surface and when that gets to a constriction either you know say a shallow riffle or a bend in the river and it starts clumping together and if it's cold enough that'll freeze into a solid shelf that looks like shelf ice but it's not it's just a all frozen together frazzle ice which is full of air pockets and really has no structural integrity whatsoever so You could have a layer of frazzle ice on the surface that's a foot thick, and you know, you take one step on it and just go right through. So,
1: then again, that's exactly why they say not to go out on the ice of the river when it's frozen over. Matt, Janet, we do appreciate it. If you have any questions for Matt or Janet or anyone in Game and Fish, you can always send us a message in the radio station's app. Uh, and then we'll get your question answered. Thank you so much. We're back more with Brian from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, Wyoming.
0: Hooking and hunting outdoors. My country. Ninety-five-five.
1: All right, it's Drew and Brian back at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, where you get anything and everything for your outdoor-loving need. <laughs> and uh, Brian, you uh, you just got back from from a show and got to see some of the vendors and got to see some of the new products that are coming out this year. And uh, you were saying that some of the people are, you know, they're getting a little more loosened up after the last couple of years.
4: Yeah. You know, we're starting to see, uh, especially some on the ammo side, a lot of the ammo starting to loosen up. So um, not not having as much on back order and some different products that are becoming more available, especially in the handgun side, the the rifle side, the thirty cal stuff, is still going to be an issue. We still got it on back order. We're going to be getting it. It's going to be coming in. Guys are still going to hoard it, probably. So, you know, uh, keep making those trips in, checking the shelves. You know, if you've got a certain one that uh, your gun really likes, like Nosler Acubons, you know, uh, you may have to switch from that. Nosler's having a few issues. But, um, you know, we're going to be getting product in, so you might have to get your gun recited. But uh, you, you might be buying a couple of your supply at a time.
1: It's good to see that, you know, after the rough couple of years that we really had, that people can come into the store and you're not going to find many empty shelves anywhere throughout. And one of those areas that we've talked a lot about it lately, but with the snowpack that we have already this year and we're just into the real snowy season now. I mean, snowshoeing and being outdoors is one of the best things you can do.
4: Man, it's uh, the number of people that have been heading up and down the mountain, you know, to hit the bear trap or going up to the Nordic trails, and whether you're cross-country skiing, downhill skiing at Hoganon, or whether you're just snowshoeing in the in the uh, Nordic center. Um, and there's a lot of people out there, and it's kind of great to see that you know people are out there having fun, enjoying the fresh air.
1: Those parking lots are packed. They are. <laughs> you get up there. I mean, it's just it's a fun time. Now, if you've never done the snowshoeing. Uh, I did it a couple of times, and then now I'll only do it if I have to. (laughs) But one of the things I loved about Rocky Mountain Discount Sports was you have options. Right, when it comes to buying, if you're if you're new to that, you can come in and kind of get an example of everything you need.
4: Yeah, there's you know we kind of carry that beginner novice maybe intermediate level of snowshoe and uh yeah there's some there's some options that aren't going to break the bank and uh you know they they last a long time so i mean you're not you're not using them every day and uh being able to get up there and actually trounce around in three foot of snow is kind of fun
1: now i'll tell you that even if you're not a snowshoer what you like to go up and you got to like to go in the backcountry maybe take your your side-by-side or your snow machine, to have extra snowshoes with you is always a good idea if you've got to walk out.
4: And a shovel, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> not, a, not a rinky-dinky little plastic shovel.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, uh, you know, carrying a nice uh, maybe collapsible shovel, you know, something that's designed that, that's not going to take up a ton of room, but you can throw in the back of your uh, machine just in case you do get stuck and need to dig out. Uh, we've got some, some neat little options there. A lot of stuff that's kind of in with our uh, ice fishing that uh, and they're collapsible and, and they're 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 heavy duty. They're not that plastic, uh, you know, sand shovel. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> well, when you uh, come in and you check out the snow uh, shoes and the ice fishing, uh, the camel packs you guys have, that's always good to have a little water and hydration on your back while you're doing that stuff too. <clears throat> yeah,
4: depending on what you're doing, you know, even, uh, you know, a lot of those just like five gallon portable jugs with a little spigot on there, right. you know, those are kind of handy depending on what you're doing and how long you're going to be up there. But uh, especially if you got dogs or something, with you but yeah the camelbacks are a great option especially if you're going to be snowshoeing and you want to be mobile and keep your hands free um yeah there's there's lots to choose from
1: so come on in and check this out i mean if you've never been into rocky mountain discount sports a you're missing out it's like uh an outdoor lover's carnival. I mean, really, you, you go from one side of the store where you're at your, you know, your gloves and your clothing and your safes and your your gun cases and packs all the way through. Uh, maybe you're going to do some trapping, you know, sometime soon. You guys got it all.
4: Yeah, you know, and uh, it's going to be uh, not too long down the road before we're going to be able to get those bikes on the road. So, you know, we've got those Rambo electric bikes, and yeah. if you haven't ridden one of those, man... You don't get off the bike without smiling. I mean, they're just fun to ride. So we do have a pretty good selection of those as well.
1: And uh, I'll tell you that if you haven't been on one of those and you're not much on riding a regular bicycle, these will change your life. They're fun. <laughs> get out and check it out. Rocky Mountain Discount Sport.
2: It's
0: Wyoming hooking and hunting Outdoors on My Country 95.5.
1: Living in Wyoming, the outdoors is, well, it's, it's an almost free playground. You know, you can go hiking, you can go hunting, you can go fishing, you can just get out and, and sightsee. And, uh, and Brian, over the years, it's uh, been quite interesting to kind of see where, where people are lying and people are, you know, where their mind is right now. And we were just talking where being up on the mountain and the snowshoeing and the snow sports is, is really important, but there's also a little bit of hunting left.
4: You know, and Wyoming is Wyoming is such a great place for everything that we love to do, you know. And uh, this is the time of year you, you got a good, nice day where maybe the big W is not, uh, not howling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's great to head up to the reef or head up over to the Miracle Mile. Or, you know, there's so many places that you can even just go, even just spin casting or fly fishing this time of year that uh, – it's pretty great you know i mean you could be fly fishing in the morning ice fishing in the afternoon shooting pheasants and you know in between that so
1: february over the last you know 10 or 20 years has been fairly mild and we've kind of felt that already this month where uh you know we're in the 40s almost on a couple of days and we'll get snow on one day but it's it's back to to normal and one of the the uh, the options that a lot of people if they want to get out and do some hunting while the weather's not horrible is coyote hunting and mm-hmm. we, we talked a little bit about that and there's some you know competitions and things that maybe get frowned upon throughout the 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 state but taking care of some of those predators is very important a for the the health and the life of the elk and the deer and the right. antelope
4: yeah, one of the ranchers here I, I talked to that was uh, flying recently, and they were looking for a wolf because they had some some cows that had, had been torn apart by a few wolf or by a wolf anyways, and uh, I think one day they, they were looking for the wolf, but they ended up shooting 36 or 40 coyotes
1: in one day. So if someone's really looking, and you and I have talked about this, because I like to go out and... and Take a couple pop shots at a coyote here or there, and you know what are some ideas gun wise for somebody that maybe don't want to break the bank, mm-hmm. something that they're not really you know going to do it a lot, but they want to do it once in a while.
4: I'll, I'll tell you the the most popular calibers that uh, that I've seen anyways that are just the common calibers twenty two two fifty. Probably number one, um, a two-two-three is a great option because most of us have an AR that you know we can shoot at two-two-three or we're shooting two-two-three through. So if you get yourself a nice little bolt action, uh, you know, with a good scope, I mean, that's a great, great option there. Uh, the two-zero-four is a good option, although ammo might now might be a little bit uh, restricted right now. But um, if you want to go based on ammo, I would probably you know go with a bolt action two-two-three.
1: Which and and you could come into the store here and you know you guys have shelves and shelves and shelves because that's the the military grade type mm-hmm. of, of ammo that they're talking.
4: Yeah, and you I mean you don't need to spend you know fifty dollars a box. It's not like you know uh, an antelope or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the, the ammo is pretty inexpensive. You can get a f- fairly inexpensive um, bolt action two two three, probably mid four hundreds probably five hundred. Uh, we had a really cool um, howa. Uh, that was in a, a yoke pattern. It had that, you know, kind of a snow pattern, coyote pattern on it. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different fun options out there and, and some that are not going to break the bank.
1: You had mentioned the big W and being able to use a call I mean, obviously, like a a rabbit call or, you know, and they have the electronic calls now Mm -hmm. that really make it simple. You don't have to do a whole lot of
4: The electronic calls kind of make it fun and easy, right? Because you don't have to really know much about it. You just kind of scroll through the different calls and see if something comes. Or, you know, you might maybe, you know, it'll say rabbit or, you know, distressed coyote or something. And uh, it's kind of fun playing around with those different calls and seeing how the animals respond to it.
1: And that's one of the, the things that there's no real regulation on, uh, coyote hunting in the state of Wyoming. Other than the fact you can't trespass, you can't go on somebody's right. property, but you could go on public land and 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 do that. And there's no restrictions on the level of gun or the the caliber of gun
4: right yeah just don't shoot off the highway don't shoot off the county roads you know make, make sure you're, you're legal in that aspect of it and you know especially when you're looking at uh, you know a lot of the blm land make sure that you're actually on blm and not on some private property
1: right and maps are always a good idea if you're going out to do that you know and Make sure you're talking to to folks that have experience and, uh, you know, go out into those areas.
4: Yeah, you know, and the Onyx Onyx, uh, Maps app is really by far the the best you know tool i think for any hunter out there you know you go to onyx maps download it it'll give you public private it'll give you state land it'll identify all your big game uh areas so you can say okay well i'm over here what what area am i in for antelope and you can click a button it'll tell you you can click on the landowner it'll tell you the landowner's name and that's by far like i use it daily
1: There's enough uh, technology, like you're just saying there, that you should never have a question, you know? I mean, as long as you're doing your due diligence to Uh to make sure you're in the right.
4: Yeah, you know, some of the, maybe the tricky... Uh, aspects of like some of the HMAs and some of the walk in areas, you know, whether or not they're open for certain species. But that's you know pretty easy call to the game and fish if you if if you don't know.
1: When we're out looking for for things to do, we're getting closer and closer to springtime fishing. So uh, we probably want to start you know looking at the boats and getting those ready to go. Have you yeah, even yeah. thought about that yet?
4: Yeah especially you know with as cold as the winter as we had, you know, making sure that your batteries didn't freeze, making sure you have good charges on and make sure the whole the charge. Um, and then just, you know, basic maintenance, you know, just making sure change oil in your lower units, change the oil in your motor, uh, whatever, all that, all that little stuff, you know, we're going to have a day where it's going to be like, all of a sudden the water's open and we're going to want to take your boat out and you don't want to be the guy at the boat ramp that doesn't, can't start his engine.
1: What about the uh, the Stampede? Uh, that's coming up soon. Uh, have you guys opened your uh, registration yet?
4: Yeah, registrations are open. We've already got I don't know forty boats signed up for the first two Glendo events. Um, our third event is going to be held over at Seminole Reservoir, um, which in my opinion is you know one of the one of the lakes that a personal best is probably going to come out of, and maybe the next state record. And then our championships up at Boysen. But, yeah, we're already accepting applications for all those. Had a pretty good response. And uh, I think it's going to be another stellar year. One last thing there, Drew. Uh, walleye Banquet's coming up. All-You-Can-Eat Walleye Feast, uh, North Platte Walleyes. It's a nonprofit here that supports a bunch of game and fish uh, programs, including uh, the Life Jacket Loner Program. We are also uh, just purchased uh, two stock tanks for the walleye uh r- spawning that they're doing out of species fish hatchery and we also are the ones that give away all those fishing poles to all those kids fishing events so um, that banquet's coming up on april 15th if anyone needs tickets for that they can uh, get a hold of me here at the store
1: awesome brian thank you so much and of course if you have any more questions for us you can hit us up in the stations app
0: my country, 95.5. You're listening to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors.
1: Welcome back to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. And one of the big game animals that we love here in Wyoming are elk. And there's a great organization, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, that does a lot of work for habitat conservation and just the general health uh, and and love of elk in Wyoming and all around the United States. And we brought in J.R. Larson with the uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. And, uh, J.R., man, thanks for uh, for coming on. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. You guys are busy. I mean, there's no doubt that the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is one of the largest conservation organizations in the United States, not just here in Wyoming, but all over the west and now moving into the eastern part of the country.
5: Yeah, that's right. We've got, I think, 425 chapters throughout the U.S. At one point, we were even spread into countries around us, obviously Canada, but down into Mexico and and some of the other places and stuff. Wherever we can uh, have a fundraiser to raise money for conservation and and especially for elk is what we're main focused on doing. Uh, Really fortunate to be from Wyoming and and keep my job here in Wyoming because obviously, like you said, we're very passionate about elk here. So mm-hmm. my job is really pretty easy within the state. Some of the other regional directors that we have cover three, four, even five states to hold their fundraisers and stuff. So I'm I'm pretty fortunate that I just cover uh, the south half of the state. I'm I'm in Cheyenne now, but I'll run clear over to Evanston and up to Star Valley for events. So. Uh, everything we do is just about conservation.
1: Some of the events that you guys have coming up, and matter of fact, all of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation events end up being really big for fundraising. And what what's your calendar looking like this year?
5: Absolutely. So within the state, I've got 11 banquets to hold. And then Sean, my counterpart for the north half of the state, he's got 11 banquets to hold. And we. We try not to overlap as much as we can because there are quite a few volunteers and uh, attendees that would like to attend multiple events. So we try not to have them on uh, the same weekend whenever we can, but ultimately that's up to the volunteers with their planning. And and we've got some chapters that will say, you know, we're the first Saturday in May or the last Saturday in April or whatever, every year, Mm -hmm. that's what people put on the calendar and we're not moving. So when we do have a chapter somewhere else move, sometimes we do overlap a little bit, but uh, outside of the state, we try and have a presence. It, it, a lot of the other bigger events, you know, they just had the Western hunt expo over there in salt Lake city. We had a presence there. We'll do raffles and and other type of fundraising. We'll sell merch and stuff that, that will um, promote the Rocky mountain elk foundation and also help us raise money for conservation. All of the uh, total archery competitions that you'll see around the U S we have booths there that'll run raffles and, and sell merch and stuff like that. So within the state, We've got 22 banquets, and then uh, outside, man, you name it, if it's a hunting and fishing type of deal, we're probably there somewhere, and we really encourage people just to stop in and say,
1: hey. Is Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation one of the largest conservation uh, organizations in the country?
5: Absolutely. Uh, We've got somewhere in the neighborhood of, I want to say, 230,000 members Man, we just do everything we can to raise money for for conservation. And uh, our main focus is whether it be habitat improvement, habitat maintenance, uh, preservation. And then, of course, we we lean very very heavily on access. So wherever we can improve access to public ground, whether that be working with landowners or buying land and transferring the land over to um, public organizations such as state blm forest service to um then protect it in perpetuity make make some sort of literature where it says you know this land can't be sold again so that that it will always be there for people to use
1: jr you're from douglas which is right around hunt area seven which is one of the most popular areas for hunting elk in the state of wyoming is that where your love of you know elk came from? And did you grow up hunting there in in Douglas?
5: Yeah, I really believe it is. Uh, I could give a whole bunch of names that probably get me in hot water with some people, but <laughs> absolutely running all over Laramie Peak, chasing deer, elk, antelope, uh, whatever it might be, going down to Glendo and fishing uh, the North Platte River, running right through town. That that really got me hooked as a young kid doing. Uh, all the outdoor stuff. And then the Laramie Peak chapter actually is what led me to getting the job I have now. I, I would go and attend the Rock Mountain Elk Foundation banquet there at uh, the fairgrounds and we would just have a good time. And then after a few years of just attending, I started volunteering. And then after volunteering for a few years, I was pretty interested in trying to get employed, uh, was working the oil field there and we were slowing down and I started putting out feelers for what else was around um, applied and didn't get the job. And then like two years later, the uh, RD that I'm now f- filling in for said she was close to retiring, keep my head on a swivel. And, and I did. And here I am now. So all things really worked out and and very fortunate because this is something I am very passionate about. Uh, it's really put a smile on my face. I, I know working the oil field can can do a lot of great things for you. And I feel like I'm doing even greater things now, making a difference with conservation and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I, w- I would say just growing up in Douglas and, and the Casper area, just having everything around there, people don't think of it as really uh, a destination spot. But It's got so much to offer in about every direction. So
1: when you were working in the oil fields and you were still hunting and fishing and and doing those types of things, do you have a bigger respect now that you're on the other side of the table? So you go from just being the outdoorsman to being part of the outdoor industry. Do you see a lot of things that you're like, wow, I, I never even realized that just being an outdoorsman? I I wouldn't say I have a
5: different perspective. I see both sides of the the road now a little bit clearer. You know, I understand uh, a lot of the oil field issues and the struggles that they had and a lot of the complaints that people had about um, what uh, fossil fuels and stuff were doing to conservation and wildlife in general. This side of it, um, I don't see major issues or concerns with what, what I was doing on the other side, I just see it clearer now.
1: I and mean, then I, I'm sure you kind of have a better understanding of of what the elk and, and conservation side of it is then.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And the importance of, you know, the people that, that go to battle with, uh, whether it be fossil fuels or energy in general that, that think we're doing more harm than good. I I think their heart's in the right place. They just don't understand how much the people that are in the energy industry care as well. You know, I working out in the oil field, I had a field that had a lot of uh, sage grouse running around on it. And we had to jump through all sorts of hoops to make sure that we were um, doing the best we could for the wildlife. And I don't think that that was state or federally mandated it was something that the the oil field company was doing for themselves to um, be fair to wildlife so I think a lot of what is going on around there the industry is cognizant of and wants to do the best for conservation wildlife habitat and and Earth in general, you know, I don't think we're out there just terrorizing things when we're when we're trying to poke holes in the ground or dig up rocks.
1: I feel that if you go to any of these banquets or any of the fundraisers that some of the oil fields and oil companies are the first to to be on the buying tables and being part of the conservation.
5: Absolutely. That
1: that that's something
5: that that can't be denied when when oil is doing. Better when coal is doing better, um, our banquets are doing better. You know, not to say that we still don't have great banquets. We absolutely had a, a record breaking year in 2022, not necessarily in Wyoming, but the Elk Foundation, we raised a pile of money last year. Um, but Wyoming has had better years, and that's when oil is doing better. You know, people are more people are in town, more money is in town. And they do care. So they come out and they, they do buy tables and they, they take their employees, they take their customers out and they, they have a good time. And it's all in the name of conservation. So I don't care if they're going to ducks or turkeys or something like that. They're, they're going out and, and giving back. And we appreciate that.
1: We're talking with J.R. Larson from the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and how has it uh, been the last couple of years in the conservation department? What kind of uh, projects have been underway?
5: So the last couple of years have been really pretty well, all things considered. Uh, Getting firearms and and, and ammunition and stuff like that was a real struggle for a little bit, which is a lot of what our banquets hinge off of. You know, everybody wants to win a gun at the banquet, but I feel like we're kind of Seeing the light at the end of the tunnel on some of that, uh, the the money has been pretty strong, which then turns around and allows us to fund projects. You know, we've been full throttle on doing whatever we can to gain access and easement projects, um, habitat con- conservation. With with the Mullen Fire, I know that we played a a, a pretty good sized part with BLM and the Forest Service in in replanting a bunch of native plants down there around the Mullen Fire and on the snowies we've done fence pull projects and stuff over on the western side of the state we we've been trying to be as active as we can because that's what we raise the money for we don't raise the money for anything else other than to promote wildlife um make things better because let's just face it there isn't more land being made you know so we're always spreading out and encroaching on wildlife so whatever we can do to help um the wildlife that are still on the, the surface is what we're most concerned about.
1: Uh, over the last couple of years, there's been, I guess, some, some tough times for antelope and mule deer, but it seems like the health of the elk herds are, are pretty strong in all throughout Wyoming. Are, are you guys seeing a pretty good sign of that?
5: absolutely uh the biggest struggle i think for elk is now winter ground with like i said the the people spreading out and and ranchettes and stuff popping up in places that normally would be good winter ground for elk the the deer and antelope have had their struggles the winter's been really brutal on antelope elk seem to be a little hardier animal that can survive the winters better obviously area seven They keep talking about well over quota there. I know some other areas are below quota. I just was on some phone calls for the western side of the state where some elk are getting kicked around between different haystacks that the ranchers don't necessarily have um, the ability to support a 600 head herd of elk. So we try and help out there for emergency feeding if we can or whatever it takes. Uh, Even if they're over quota, we don't want to see animals starve in the winter or you know be be harassed off of ground that normally would be somewhere they could just go and and kind of recoup from from hunting season and and recover and and get ready to have their babies
1: jr where uh, where can folks go to to find out more information if they want to become a member or maybe find out about all these different uh, banquets that you guys have going on
5: so what they could do is just get on the internet, go to rmef.org, and that'll take you straight to our homepage. If they scroll down about halfway, they'll see somewhere it says events, and then you can filter down to just Wyoming, and then it'll have them by date in order of the events coming up. If they want to get involved, there's join or donate tabs you can click on, and we've got a membership for just about every different person out there, whether they're Kids or, or the standard hunter or somebody that'd like to, to give a little bit more. We've got sponsorships if they'd like to sponsor one of our events. Um, there's some incentives with, with different firearms and stuff there with the different levels. Um, we've got a merch page where you can buy RMEF hats or shirts, uh, belt buckles, things of that sort. Um, you can find out what we're doing where with uh, the what we do tab and then get to know us if, if you want to look up and try and find my information it's under the get to know us Wyoming tab for for regional directors and I can put you in contact with our local chapters if, if you want to be a volunteer and help with our banquets or say our our boots on the ground project so that that's the best place to start. I can, I can give you my email if people wanted that any way you want to slice it, man.
1: Well, I'll tell you that it's, it's important to keep the conservation uh, and projects rolling. And that's exactly what Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is going to do. And JR, it's been a pleasure talking with you. And I definitely want to uh, talk with you again, as we get closer and closer to summertime to See what you guys are up to.
5: That sounds great. Thank you for the opportunity. Have
0: you hooked a big fish or harvested a beast of an animal? Let us know all about it at the My Country mobile app. You're listening to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors.